Hey, teacher friend, welcome to the Simply Teach podcast, a podcast for teachers by teachers. I'm your host, Kelly Jackson, and each week I bring you a podcast full of practical and helpful ideas from teachers. We all know that teaching is really hard work, and I want this podcast to be a place for you to not only find ideas, but to also find encouragement and motivation. Welcome y'all to episode number 42. This is my first interview for season four, but ironically the last interview I did. But before I tell you about my new friend, Jennifer, I want to ask you a big favor. If you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time and you find it helpful, will you please, please head over to iTunes to rate and review the podcast? This helps the podcast be found by other educators and I would really appreciate it. Today's review is from Shelly NW, which I'm pretty sure is my friend Shelly. But Shelly says, Kelly is so encouraging to teachers. I hear her passion for teachers and students and the way she encourages us to be our best selves. This is a great podcast for teachers in any stage of their career. So thank you, Shelly, for the kind review. And I'm like 99.9999% sure that it is Shelly. So thank you so much, Shelly, for being my friend and taking time to review the podcast, listening to the podcast, and supporting me in this venture and always lending a listening ear. I miss you lots. Okay, so I could not have picked a better guest for this first interview for the season. I found Jennifer through Pinterest and I reached out to her and we talked just a couple weeks ago to record the podcast and I had such a great time chatting with her. Because I didn't really know a lot about her, I didn't know what I was getting, but y'all, she is a treat. I love her passion for teachers and her passion for the Lord that just exudes out of everything she says. Jennifer and I talk about a lot of things today. We talk about her transition from a public school teacher to a homeschool mom. We talk about how she's now teaching for VIP kid. I think that's what it is. VIP kid slash VIP kid, whatever. Um, Which I know many of you are looking into as a great way to make some extra cash over the summer. We have a great conversation about being flexible and learning how to say you're sorry to both adults and students. She tells us about her new course, Setting Up Shop, from TPT Newbie to Shop Owning Guru, and it's launching this month. So be sure to stick around till the end because she tells us all about the course and what you can get in there. So if you're a Teachers Pay Teachers author or you're aspiring to be, she's going to have some great info for you and information about how to sign up for this course. I know y'all are going to love Jennifer. She's a happy teacher mama on all the socials, and that name speaks so truly to who she is. She really is full of joy and happiness, and I'm so excited for you to listen in on our conversation. Here we go. Hey, Jennifer, welcome to the Simply Teach podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today. Uh, I think I told you I came across you on Pinterest. I think when I like reached out to you on Instagram. Um, yes. And I just, I loved your website right away in your Instagram feed, because I think we share a lot of the same loves of like organization and management and yes, absolutely. all that good stuff. So will you just start out by kind of telling our, uh, the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. My name is Jennifer and I am a teacher, public school teacher, turned homeschooling mom to my two boys. And I am also a VIP kid teacher and Teachers Pay Teachers author. So I have lots of free time. I don't do anything. (laughs) Um, And I actually taught for five years before staying at home uh, as a homeschooling mom. And so that's what I'm doing currently. 
What caused that transition from public school? Like what made you want to do homeschool? Honestly, I was the public school for your kids. Right. I was the person who had been asked multiple times, Oh, are you going to homeschool when you have kids? And I said, no, because it was never on my radar at all. Never even thought about it. And then I got to this point when I went back to teaching, when my youngest was in, when he started kindergarten, I went back to teaching and taught for three years. And it was like in that third year, the Lord just really impressed on my heart just this sense of something wasn't right. And I couldn't really figure out what it was. So I started talking to my husband and we started praying about it. And it just was like out of the blue homeschooling. And I was thinking, what on earth? I have never considered this. (laughs) What in the world is this about? And here we are. That's, that's it. It, that's the way it worked out. So Did your oldest son have a little bit of public school experience then, I guess? Yes, actually, um, we, my, my oldest, uh, finished fourth grade in the public schools. And then his fifth grade year was the year that we started homeschooling. And so my youngest was actually going into third grade. So they were going into fifth and third grade when we, when we started homeschooling. So just because I'm curious and, you know, you think homeschool and you think they just sit at home, like you, you have these, like, I guess. Ex, or not expectations, but like visualizations, pictures yes. in your mind of like what you see on TV and yes. the Duggars and that kind yes, of stuff. Yes. So what does homeschooling look like for you and your family? Well, what's really interesting is with my background in teaching, I was very guilty of school at home, which I know is very different for a lot of people. So I was the, you need to sit in a chair, you need to be at a desk. Like I had this public school mentality, having been a teacher for so long, that's what I knew school to be. And so I've, mm-hmm. I've definitely relaxed over the years a little bit. And two, as my boys have gotten older, um, they've, they've really taken on a lot more independence in their learning. So it's more, I, I'm more facilitate at this point. And so, um, for example, today, um, we have this school room set up and nobody ever comes in here. I hang out in here by myself. <laughs> it's where I go to get away. <laughs> and they end up at the kitchen table on the couch, sitting on their bed. It's as long as the work gets done, I let them kind of dictate where they choose to do it. So it's pretty, pretty relaxed for the most part, but they do know that they have certain things that have to be accomplished within a day and within a week. That kind of, I mean, that's kind of the way public education is going right now too, with all the flexible seating and all of that, like letting kids be in charge of their own decisions about how they get the work done. Yes. And I really, I, if I were to go back tomorrow, back to, um, the public school, I would definitely be the type of teacher that would be into that because I've always been one that if my kids in my classroom needed to stand, as long as they were not a distraction or a disruption Mm -hmm. to others around them, that never bothered me. So I was always the type that was like, you know, let's move, let's be active. And so flexible seating. I love it. I think it's fantastic personally. Yeah, it's fun. It's a, a learning curve, I think, for yes. the teacher more than it is for the kids. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's the hardest part is depending on the type of teacher that you are, being able to mesh that with the type of students that you have. That that can be a little tricky sometimes. Right. right. So do your boys do, like, are you assigning the work? Or are they doing a, um, like, working through a program, like, online program type thing? We actually do 
a variety. And I guess even when I was teaching in the schools, you know, we have your textbooks, but then I was always the type to find things on Teachers Pay Teachers to pull in. And that's sort of what we do. We use a lot of different curriculums or curricula that I just kind of mesh together. And um, we, we love teaching textbooks for math. And I like it because math is not my strong suit. I can do it, but as far as teaching it, not so much. <laughs> and now that they're into you know, algebra and some of these other things, I like because it actually yeah. teaches it to them. And then they then go in and um, answer questions and that sort of thing. So I'm more of a, like I say, an overseer or a facilitator who can, if they're really hung up on something, I can, you know, dive in with them. But otherwise, they do that. And um, we we just, we use all sorts of different programs, really like a variety. Okay. okay. When you were in public school, what did you teach? I taught mostly third grade. That was, I. what I did, I taught for two years prior to having my first son. And then when uh, my youngest, and I had the two boys, and when my youngest uh, started kindergarten, I went back. So I have five years, but two were much before, and then, you know, about mm-hmm. a seven-year hiatus, and then um, went back. And so I taught, the first year I taught was in kindergarten. The second year was in third grade. And then I took my stay-at-home mom hiatus. And then when I went back, I taught third grade for three more years. What was that like going back to teaching after? Ta- because I, I have a Facebook group and I ask three questions every time somebody um, wants to come into the group. And surprisingly, an answer I get a lot is, um, primarily women, but they're, they're coming either from their, like for their second career or they've just taken off time to be a mom. And now they're coming back into the classroom. Did you have trouble getting back into the public school setting? Yes. Because of that? (laughs) Truthfully, I did. And for me, a lot of it was, um, there was this huge, um, techie learning curve for me because when I taught Mm -hmm. the first two years, we didn't even have smart boards. Well, lo and behold, everything's done on the smart board. When I return it, I'm like, what the heck is a smart board? And how do I even turn it (laughs) on? You know, I'm thinking, oh my goodness. So that was really, really interesting um, to overcome. So that was, that was a big, a big step for me. Um, But then I think one of the hardest things was figuring out at, at the point before I had no children, was was newly married. So, you know, you navigate a few things being newly married, but you go to work, you do that. But then I had a family to uh-huh. deal with. And so that was really, really different. Um, I think it made me a more compassionate teacher because I could see it being a mom myself. I could see where mom and dad, you know, where mom and dad are coming from when they're having issues mm-hmm. with their child or whatever. But it made it really... Um, there, there were just so many things because, well, first of all, it was a new school system. I was living in a new town. Um, but I just felt like I was left behind in those years. I was like, have I been living in a cave? Because honest to goodness, (laughs) that's what it felt like. And, um, so that, that was pretty tricky, but I think one of the hardest things was, um, just that first day feeling like I was already behind and not even knowing where to start kind of it had been so long since I had had my education. I didn't feel, you know, fresh out of college, gung ho. I was like, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? 
So that was tricky <laughs> to say the least. It's like your first year all it over. It is. Again. And just this whole just trying to figure out. Yes. It was a whole new dynamic and just, you know, diving in and, and needing to know where all the forms go and, and how to, to mm-hmm. figure out how to get on all these websites that I wasn't familiar with. And just, just for honestly, I think that technological aspect really kind of made me feel behind because the, the part about mm-hmm. connecting with my kids that I felt like I could do. But all the other stuff was what really kind of stressed me out. What about getting an interview or getting a job? Did you have trouble with that? Like, were, did, did you feel like admin looked at you like, oh, you don't have, you haven't had recent experience or anything like that? You know, actually, um, I was very blessed. Um, I ended up being pretty involved with my oldest son, um, in kindergarten and first grade. So I got to know, uh, many of the teachers and the principal and helped out when I could and did things just because I wanted to help, not with the intention of, Ooh, I hope I can get my foot in the door. It was just, Hey, I know it's helpful because I remember as a teacher, any extra hands are welcome. Yes. (laughs) And so I kind of got to know people. And then I had an opportunity that I just thank the Lord for, um, my son's teacher was supposed to be going out on maternity leave. And I thought, Ooh, if I could maybe fill in for her, that would be awesome. So I I put in my, my application to see about filling in for a maternity leave. It didn't work out, but interestingly enough, another school, which I was not familiar with, um, did have an opening. It was a last minute. A woman was able to adopt a child. So it was very last minute Mm -hmm. and I was able to fill in and that's the school I ended up getting a job with. So I feel like that the Lord really, you know, orchestrated my steps to kind of do that because I didn't have the intention of, of planning to do anything like that. It just sort of fell in my lap. So I was very blessed in that respect. Yeah. And that's why you always, we always tell, you know, either first year teachers or teachers trying to get into the field, go sub at a school, go volunteer at a school because I mean, it, it is and who, you know, a lot of the times it really is. It can help you. Yes. And, and they just, they see you and they know that you're there. And especially if it's on a volunteer basis, they know you're not being reimbursed for this. You're taking Mm -hmm. your time because you enjoy what you do. And if they see you doing a good job, I think that's just going to give you, you know, a leg up when it does come interview time. And they're like, Hey, I recognize that face out of all the candidates that are, they're applying. Right. Yeah. All right. So now you're teaching, obviously you're homeschooling, yes. but you're also teaching VIP kid. Yes. So first explain what that is, because I think most teachers by this point probably know what it is, but if they don't, and then how you got started in that and what it looks like. Okay. Yes. VIP kid is actually a huge platform. It is an educational platform where, um, American teachers teach, or well, I should say native English speakers, because they're not just all American, but um, they they teach English to students in China. And they range in age from about three or four, all the way up to 13 or 14 years old. And it's a... Um, it's a huge, huge company that is growing by leaps and bounds. And there have actually been multiple spinoff companies that have since sort of said, Hey, this thing seems to really be taken off and have done similar things. And, um, basically you do what's the equivalent of a Skype call or a FaceTime call with a specific child. It's one-on-one and you teach them for about 25 minutes and it is a completely immersive classroom. So, 
I don't know Chinese. I know ni hao, which my students are so proud that <laughs> I have learned. That means hello in Chinese. That's the extent of my Chinese vocabulary. And um, they then you have slides that you present and talk them through. And it's a lesson that's already prepared for you. And you teach them one-on-one. And I absolutely love it. I've been doing it for, it'll be, it's almost two years that I've been um, with VIP Kid. And (laughs) this is another one of those where you just kind of look back and you're like, okay, Lord, this must have been you. Because when I was just scrolling through Facebook one day thinking, you know, I had gone back to homeschooling. So we were out of a a paycheck, which was unfortunate. And I was thinking, oh man, I sure would like to be able to help, you know, financially. And I saw this ad, this girl had posted, I don't know, in in a Facebook group and just said, hey, here's this thing. I thought, what is this? So I clicked on it and thought, this is really interesting. My husband came home that night and said, hey, I found, I saw something really cool today. And I said, what's that? And he said, somebody, it was, I can't remember if he told me it was an advertisement or something that he had seen online and it was for VIP kid. And I went, okay, this is weird. And I told him that I had also found out about it, had no idea, did some research, you know, to make sure, because of course you're thinking, is this thing legit? Is it not? I'm not sure. And, and lo and behold, that's how it happened. Crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I looked into doing it before we moved over to Germany. I was like, oh, that would be a good way for me to make some money. Sure. Um, well, I could not get over I could not get over the interview with the adult yes. having to teach them like a three or four. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. And I like prepared my lesson. I was so nervous for my lesson. And you, it, I don't know, I guess it's just like the adult to adult thing. There was some kind of internet mishap. I don't know. Um, the guy had to like cancel my interview and I was like, okay, I'm taking this as a sign from God that <laughs> this is not, not meant for me. to me. Yes. And then once I got here within like a month, I got a job teaching English to oh, German yes. students. So I was like, you know what? This is a much better fit for me because it gets me out of the house, Yes. which when you work from home in a new country where you know, nobody like yes. you've got to take, you know, those opportunities. Absolutely. So VIP kid didn't work out for me, but I've heard, I know a lot of teachers doing it. Um, and I've heard really good things about it. Do they pay well? They do. They, it ranges from, I think it's like $11 to like $22 a class, which is really only like 30 minutes. So, I mean, you're Mm -hmm. talking, um, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Let me think because I don't want to misspeak. I think it's, oh boy, I think it's per hour. Yeah. So it would be like 11 to 22 per hour because the way that it's broken down is 30 minute classes. So it's two classes. So it's a little tricky in the way that you have to think about it or the way that I think about it. Um, But I, I love it. I mean, the pay is really, is really good for the amount of time that you spend prepping, doing, and, and providing feedback to parents. Is there a lot of prep work involved in it? In the beginning, there is just because it's so new. It's that learning curve. Like we were talking about when Mm -hmm. you first start teaching or doing anything else, there's this weird, like, okay, I've got to make sure my brain's right. I got to make sure that my headphones are working and all this stuff. But it only takes me now. I do five classes a day and it takes me about all in total to prep for all five classes. It takes me 15 minutes. 
And then after (laughs) hubby, literally, it takes me 15 minutes total. At first, it took me about 30 minutes or more per class just because I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, But now I know which props I need to use and um, I know which flashcards I want to pull out. So I just put them in my little, um, this, I use these little clear um, sleeves and I just put the, the um, page protectors or whatever you want to call them. And Mm -hmm. I put the flashcards down in there, jot the child's name on there. And I know for, you know, Jim Bob's class, I'm going to have these things. So that's, that's what I do. And so now prep super simple. Do you teach the same kids over and over or is it different every time? It's both. You have, when you first start out, as with anything, um, of course, every child's going to be new to you. But over time, there will be certain children that are going to be drawn to you and your teaching style. Because it's the nice thing mm-hmm. is there are students that their families, their parents, you know, expect it to be very serious. And, and that's perfect. There are also parents that want their children to be very, you know, immersed in a very conversational situation. They like for us to laugh and be silly. And of course, that changes whether you're teaching a three-year-old or a 14-year-old, certainly. Um, And so there's just the thing that I like about it is no matter what kind of teacher you are, you'll have kids that will gravitate to you and those become your regulars. I have a boy that I teach. I think, um, I know I've got a couple of kids I teach two times a week. One I teach four times a week. And then I have others that are what I call like fill-ins, you know, whether they're maybe a trial class, mm-hmm. somebody that's just trying out VIP kid. Um, and sometimes those kids, if they've had you, will come back and you'll get the same students. Okay. And also, so you're in Tennessee, correct? Yes, I am. Okay, so central time zone. So how, is that like a 12-hour difference from China? I'm actually in the part of Tennessee that's eastern. So I'm in the eastern okay. time zone. It is, yes, it's okay. 12 hours. The only time it gets confusing is like <laughs> daylight savings throws everything off because they don't change, but we do. And I'm going, yeah. oh my goodness. So it's 11 hours difference at that point, but it's okay. 12 typically. So, cause I think what I've heard from my other friends who teach in the like central Texas area, yes. um, is that most of the classes or a lot of their kids get on in Chinese night yes. time. So it's like early U S time. It is. Is that the same for you? It is. Yes. My, I typically teach classes, um, from seven to nine 30 in the morning. And so that's seven to nine 30 their time. PM, I should say, you know, so, so that's always interesting when I show them that the sun's coming up at my house, they think that's just amazing. Especially my little ones. They're like, Oh, it's day. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. Do you have a code or something that people, if they listen and want to sign up, isn't there a thing like where you can sign up under you? Yes. It is a referral code and I can, I can give that to you, but it's also, um, it's J E N N I like Jenny zero three zero nine. I'll double check that to make sure, but I'm always <laughs> positive that's right. Um, and that way, if they use that code, they can, um, they can email me and let me know. And I will walk through everything with them. I've got all sorts of free things that I've made to help them like the flashcards they'll need for their interview and mock lessons and those sorts of things. And sometimes it's just nice to have that person that's like, okay, here's the next thing that's going to happen. So that 
because it can be overwhelming. It's a pretty intense process um, to go through. But honestly, if you can get through the the hiring process, teaching's a breeze. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's good to know because then you're like, whoo, okay, I can do this thing. That the hard part is over. Absolutely. Yeah. If you'll send me that code, I'll link to it um, in the show notes so that way people can sign up Perfect. under you yes. and get your help. That's great. Thank you. Great. Yeah. In your questionnaire that I sent you, um, one of my questions was the area that you feel most successful in. And you said being able to switch gears when necessary, which is a lot in my experience. (laughs) So will you explain that a little bit? Like, why is that? And how did you manage that? Okay. Well, (laughs) yes, I have found, especially teaching elementary students, it never fails. You're just digging in, you're into a lesson and it's going really well. And then bam, fire alarm or bam, you got to go get your picture taken. Oh my gosh. It's we're running late for lunch or, Oh, we're running late. It just seems like there's always an interruption. One, one interruption after another, or we've got a kid that threw up because let's be honest, that's what happens. You know, Oh my goodness. You have to just stop. And being flexible is really hard for a lot of type A teachers. And I would say that I'm pretty type A, but over time I've learned to just kind of roll with the punches. There, when, when you're teaching kids and when you've got that many people in a room, it's not just about you. It's about everybody in that room. And so sometimes teaching has to take a back seat when you have an emergency or a situation you have to deal with. And um, then there were times that it was just, I could look out there and my kids, it was like they were gone. I could tell nobody had any clue what I was talking (laughs) about. And I thought, you know what, let's just stop, cut our losses. Let's stop where we are and, and go back or revisit. You can gauge where your students are just by the looks. If you see that deer in the headlights, like, oh my goodness, what is she talking about? Just stop, just stop. It's better that way. And, um, and another thing that I, I always think of too, when it comes to switching gears is I had to learn to apologize a lot. And that's, that's really hard when your personality for, for, I know for a lot of teachers is, you know, I'm the teacher, I'm in charge, but I learned really early on, not just in teaching, but just in life in general, you know, being able to say you're sorry and apologize when you've done something wrong is one of the best teaching tools you can, or the teaching experiences you can ever give kids. Because when I spoke out of turn, let's just say, or maybe I told them something, like I said, when I first started teaching, I had stuff messed up all the time, whether it was forgetting my attendance or whatever. And I would tell the students, I would be like, you know what, Mrs. Holt's really sorry. I'm so sorry that I, that I did that or that I said that because actually that's not right. Maybe it was a math problem that I did wrong or something. And I said, you know what, Mrs. Holt made a mistake. Let's walk through this again. Let me show you how I messed up or, or whatever. And I found that being able to just stop for a second, apologize to them, they really responded to that. And I found them using that with each other and learning how to just turn off the the aggravation or the anger or the frustration with each other and switch gears themselves. And so that was, that was really exciting to be able to see them do that because I was like, Sometimes we just have to be flexible. And some kids that's hard, hard, hard for because they really like that routine, that consistency. And so trying to lead by example was always my goal. And so that was one thing that 
<laughs> I thought, okay, if we can switch gears, we're going to switch gears. Well, you said a couple things that, um, I wanted to comment on. So one was the apology. Yes. Um, that part of that is just building that relationship Absolutely. with kids. And I've, um, talked with a couple of teachers. I'm like doing all my podcast recording for this season, you know, yes. like I've been doing it the last couple of weeks. And so I've talked to a lot of teachers recently and, um, I think you're the third teacher I've talked to where it's like that relationship is kind of the base layer to your management. Absolutely. If you don't have that relationship, then they're not going to buy into anything else you're doing. You're right. And that ability to say, I'm sorry is, and there were times, I mean, I can think of times, unfortunately, where, I mean, I'm a human, I have a bad day yes. and I would yell at my kids. Yes. I mean, I did, I yelled at my kids yes. or I would say something to a kid that maybe wasn't like the nicest way or I didn't handle it in I mean, it's funny how apologizing to a seven-year-old can even be difficult. Oh, it and is. Embarrassing. It's, it's it's having to. It's in our minds, it's humiliating, but it's it's mm-hmm. actually stepping forward and going. Look, I don't think so much of myself that I'm not willing to come to you and say, you know what, I, I made a mistake, and I did that. I I would um, blame kids or maybe didn't hear the whole story and blame a child for something mm-hmm. they didn't do. And I went, I, if I had blamed them in front of the class, I made sure to apologize in front of the class because, you know, I, that was not, it wasn't their fault or maybe the situation ended up being very different from what I knew. And I felt like that they deserved a public apology. And the thing is, I don't want it to sound like, Oh, she always was so kind to it. That's not true. I'm human too. And I had bad days, but they really responded and they realized I respected them as people. Yes, they're little people, but they're people all the same and they need respect too. And they really respond to that respect. And I think that's okay to have a bad day and to lash out at a kid and then come back and apologize because it again shows that we're, we're all human and it's okay to have a bad day and it's okay to sometimes do things that maybe are not the best as long as you can have that humility and come back and, apologize. Yes. Um, another thing you talked about, like with the being flexible and okay, there were two more things I wanted to say. Oh, uh, I don't remember what it was you said, but it made me think about my first couple years having to really learn that I actually wasn't in control of the classroom. (laughs) My kids were in control of the classroom. They had all the, I thought I had the control. Yes. And I learned that real quick, uh, in my second year that that was not true at all. Yes. Um, and so that I think too, is like something for a new teacher listening to kind of go into the, the school year or the classroom and realize that you can try and have control and you can try your best to manage the classroom. But sometimes you're going to have a class or a couple students that just aren't going to allow that. And you have to be able to, to step back and reevaluate. One thing I started doing probably maybe year like four, five, and six Mm -hmm. for me was, um, I stopped planning actual lessons on Friday. I would plan out my whole week, everything I wanted to do. And then Friday was kind of left open. I might have an idea or two of what I wanted to do, but I left it open for catch up because like you were saying, it's inevitable that you have a fire drill or a, an assembly come up and then you've lost time earlier in the week. And so I felt like I was constantly behind and constantly like I get to Friday and be like, well, I didn't get to this, 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 or this. 
and move it to the next week. And then it was just like this constant yes. feeling of behind. So I got to the point where I was like, I'm not going to waste time planning or making things for Friday, especially when I was teaching, um, two classes. So I, I had them for even when you're self-contained, yes. it's a lot easier to move things around. But when you're teaching with a partner, I just, and that was really helpful for me. It kind of allowed me to breathe a little bit, I guess, and not be so hard on myself when I didn't get to things. Yes. And I like what you said about, about feeling like you're always behind because especially as a new teacher, you always feel behind no matter what you do. It's like, one step forward, five steps back. And so I love the idea that, yes, I mean, you obviously you need to have kind of an idea, a plan, but at the end of the day, if you leave yourself a little bit of margin, that allows you to, by Friday, have those five things accomplished. Even if, you know, one took two days, then two, three, and four, you can accomplish later on. I just, I really like that. I think that's an excellent point so that you almost, instead of trying to have everything done per day, it's like, if you have this weekly overview and you know that by Friday, mm-hmm. I want to have X, Y, Z done, then how it sort of maps out during the week is, is kind of irrelevant as long as it gets done. And I think that's, that's a great idea. Teacher friends, I'd like to take a minute really quick to tell you about my ebook, The Simply Organized Classroom. When I first started The Simply Organized Teacher, I wanted a way to put all of my most valuable thoughts and ideas out there to support teachers. So I wrote this ebook. If you're a new teacher, student teaching, or getting ready to start the new school year, then this is a great investment you can make to help you know where to get started before the new year or something that you can use right smack dab in the middle of the year to help you with your organization and management in the classroom. There's seven different chapters, all related to classroom organization and classroom management. Of course, I talk about things that can benefit teachers of all experience levels. A few of the topics that I cover are setting up a classroom and how we typically go about setting up and getting ready for a new year backwards. I share my ideas on classroom management plans, how many you should have, and what you can do when you have kids that don't do well with your whole group or your individual plans. I write about school dynamics and working with other teachers. And then, of course, there's a whole chapter devoted to first-year teachers. And I talk about how to organize and manage your materials, your student materials, all sorts of stuff. If any of these topics sound like an area you can improve on, want to learn more, or just get some new ideas, then head over to my website to learn more and purchase your copy. You can also use the short link, which is bit.ly slash TSOT ebook to go straight to it. That one might be a little bit easier to remember. Also, just a little tidbit, if you sign up for my email list, you'll get the opportunity to purchase the ebook for a reduced rate. It's on my website for $12, but as a new email subscriber, you can get it for eight. So if you want to sign up for my email list to get the lower price, then you can head to bit.ly slash TSOT email. And as a podcast listener, you can use the code simply teach to get 10% off any purchases that you make in the shop. Um, on your website, you share about your journey with breast cancer Yes, and your mom's journey yes. too, correct? Yes. I... Was this during your school? Were you teaching at this time or? I actually did not have breast cancer. My mom. Okay. My mom had it. I chose to go through um, the, what do you call it? They call it prophylactic double mastectomies. Um, I chose Mm -hmm. to go through um, that because I have a like, 
ridiculous history of, um, cancer in my family. And Mm -hmm. because of that, I had always been, you know, pretty attuned to making sure I went to all of my appointments as necessary. When I was, I think it was in 1999, I believe my mom was, uh, in her 50, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. My, my cousin, um, back, oh gosh, I can't even remember. She was diagnosed in her twenties with breast cancer. And my aunt, my mom's sister died at 42 of breast cancer. So this was, these two events happened before my mom was diagnosed. So when my, um, Oh, wait a minute. I'm going to have to back up a second. (laughs) I'm telling you the history (laughs) is ridiculous. Okay. So my aunt died of breast cancer at 42. My cousin was diagnosed at 23 with breast cancer. My mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer first. And it was one of those, she went in for a routine exam. The doctor found something that was abnormal. She was feeling no pain. Nothing was going on. Boom, you have cancer. I mean, it was just completely out of the blue. So she had a, um, a hysterectomy and went through chemo and all of that. And then about, I think it was about three or four years later, she has breast cancer. And the good part of that was it was the two were completely unrelated. So it wasn't that it was a metastasized situation where it had actually spread. It was a, um, a completely different cancer. So she had breast cancer. Well, at this point in time, I had gotten to know my mom's doctors. You know, she went through chemotherapy and everything. I had gotten to know my mom's doctors and she saw me in between my yearly checkups to do breast exams to just because of the family history and everything with my mom. Well, after talking with my husband at this point um, and, you know, praying about it, we, we were talking about, we had, we had children, we had our two boys and we kind of got to this point where it was like, ah, do we want to have any more kids? Do we not? Because we had already decided I was going to go ahead and move forward with the prophylactic double mastectomies as well as a hysterectomy. But I knew obviously if I had a hysterectomy, that would be no more biological children. And I struggled with that to be really honest with you. I wasn't sure I wanted any more kids, but I wasn't sure I didn't want any more kids. And I knew once I made that decision, that was it. I knew there were other options, Mm -hmm. adoption and other things, but it was knowing that I was the one ultimately making that final decision of, okay, we're done now. So we, we struggled with that for a little while and prayed about it. And then I ended up going in for just another routine. Um, I ended up going in for a mammogram and I was only in my twenties at this point in time, but because of the history and this doctor that I was seeing, she was very, very proactive about stuff. Um, I had a mammogram done and when I had the mammogram done, they found something And so they said, okay, while you're here, let's go ahead and get some more films. They did it like three times, or excuse me, twice. And then they said, we need to do an ultrasound. And at this point, um, you know, I mean, it's happening all within the same day. So I didn't really realize what was going on. And when they checked it, praise the Lord, there was nothing there. But it was funny because that was at the point where we were really praying hard about whether or not to put this off, have more children. And my mom, I remember her commenting to me. She said, you know, Jennifer, I know you've been praying about whether or not you need to have more children. Have you ever thought that maybe this was your answer? Because she knew what the answer I was wanting. And she knew that maybe Mm -hmm. when she said that, I went, wow, you're right. And so at that point, when my oldest was three, 
and my youngest was about 18 months, not even quite 18 months. I went through with the double mastectomy and, um, I was 29 when I had it done. And the hardest part about that year, because they did, I remember they did the double mastectomy in March in June, that was where they did the actual breast removal and they had the, um, what they call expanders they had put in there. And I would go every so many weeks and have those, um, basically they would inject saline to sort of stretch the skin. That's part of the process. And in June, I had my hysterectomy in the midst of going through the other stuff. I had the hysterectomy. Then in October, once I had gotten to the size that they knew I needed to be, they went ahead and removed those and they put in the the permanent implants. And then, so within a year I had my, my breasts removed, the reconstruction done as well as the hysterectomy done and all that while having a three-year-old and an 18 month old. And I was a stay at home mom at that point. I know you had asked if I was teaching. Um, but at that point I was still staying at home and that was really hard. I had to learn to ask for help because I was used to managing two toddlers and, you know, opening doors with my toes and everything else. You know, you got one on your hip, you're dragging one wherever you need to do. And that was another one of those situations where I had to realize that, you know, I've just got to humble myself and just ask people if they can help me. And it's, it's hard for someone, especially I think teachers and women, because we think we can do it all. We try to do it all because we don't want to show any weakness and, and, that was a very humbling experience to have to do that. How did you learn how to ask for help? Like, was it just, uh, just a saying, okay, I can't do it. I just have to ask. Or did you like, was there self-talk involved? Because even though you're talking about this in the context of like a really traumatic time in your life, I think like you're saying as teachers and women, even just asking for help at school, can be something that you don't want to admit that you need that help. So how did you kind of work through that and, and come to terms with that? Well, you know, it's, I found that a lot of times when you have no other choice, (laughs) it's pretty easy to make a decision where you're just like, you know what, I cannot do this. And so there was a certain amount of that. I mean, I physically could not pick up my children. I mean, I couldn't do it. And when you have an 18 month old that's trying to climb on you and you cannot pick your child up, it just, your heart just rips in two. And it's like, I realized I was having to ask for help, but I also knew that it meant that I was putting more of a burden on someone else. And I think that's, what's the hardest for us. I think that's what, yep. that is yeah. the part that I think it's not the fact. Well, not for most people. I don't think it's the fact that, that they are afraid to ask for help, but the idea that they're making something harder for someone else when our goal in life is to ease others burdens. It's like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to put more on this person. Oh my goodness. What? This is awful. And I think that that's the hardest thing. And so there was a lot of this, like you said, that self-talk of, you know what? I, I, I cannot do it all. And, and I actually, when you, when you sent me the, um, the questions and stuff, um, one of the things that I've really learned just in the last few years, even is just to allow myself some grace because I was created as an imperfect human being. I am not perfect. That doesn't mean that I don't do my very best to give my best But at the end of the day, I cannot, I think Laura Casey was the one that says this. She says, I cannot do everything and do it well. 
that is so true. And the more you try to do, are you a power sheet? Yes. I love power sheets. <laughs> <laughs> love power sheets. Oh my goodness. Yes. I knew that we were going to be. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. But yes. And it's just one of those things where when I started allowing myself some grace and just realizing it's okay, just giving myself that. I, I don't know. It's like in my mind, I just kept thinking I had to achieve this. I had to do that. I had to do this. And there's been such a freedom in saying, okay, if I mess up, the world will not end. And I think that knowing that, you know, you mess up on a lesson, the world won't end. You give them the wrong spelling words, the world isn't going to end. You know, the parents, and I think as first year teachers too, especially, or, or even the first few years or going back, you feel like that you've got to maintain this credibility, like that you have to prove yourself to the teachers, to the students, to the parents. And obviously you don't want to look like a total dingbat, but at the same time, you also need to know and understand that they're human too. And if you apologize to them and realize, Hey, look, I, you know, I made a mistake again, building those relationships, whether it's with other teachers, whether it's with parents or students, making yourself human makes you that much more approachable. So if a parent has a question or is mm -hmm. dealing with something, it's amazing the number of parents that would come to me and actually let me know when their child was having an issue because I, you know, I had spent the time building that relationship. So I said, Hey, you know, I would send an email. Is, is everything okay? I noticed your child was, you know, really sleepy today or something. And they would share what was going on in their, you know, at, at home, maybe there was some things going on. And again, I think it just goes right back to that by showing that you're human too. You're not this perfect facade that no one can crack. Yeah. You talking about help. Um, why do we, why are we afraid to ask for help when like for me, and I would imagine for you too, I, I want people to ask me for help. I want to be able yes. to help yes. them, but I don't want to ask for somebody to help me. I know. Me. It makes it's like such a, it makes no sense. I don't know, but it's, but that's the way it's like, I think our nature, and I think it honestly goes back to what we said just a second ago, where it's, we want to assume some of other people's burdens. Like we want to help them carry the load, but we don't want to put our burden on someone else because we know how much they're probably carrying on their own. And I think that's, but that is the, the quickest route to burnout. That is the quickest route to just t depression, anxiety, because what's happening is the more that you try to take on in, in all likelihood, the more you're closing off those around you that can help you and that can be an mm -hmm. encouragement to you. And so that's why you need to make sure that you're, that you find a support system, whether it's your spouse or other teachers, um, you know, a mentor teacher, or just even those, that's why we, we write. That's why you have this podcast. That's why I have my blog is to, for people to find a place, find a community where they can be real and be honest and say, Oh my goodness, I'm really overwhelmed right now. And we can say, Hey, I've been there. I understand. And it's okay. It will get better. And I think there's peace in knowing there is a light at the end of the tunnel sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, with teaching, there is. You've got some Absolutely. Break and just, it's around the corner. <laughs> it's like, that's, yeah, I know. Um, oh, I wanted to oh, ask you. Oh, I was going to ask, are you, no, you're fine. Um, are you an Enneagram person? Are you familiar with Enneagram? 
I have not a hundred percent like, you know, I see free stuff. So I randomly like take all these free online personality tests, <laughs> but I have not done that. So I'm going to have to try that. Okay. I was just curious cause you were talking about, um, or just us talking about this like concept of help and not wanting to ask for help. You don't want to put burdens on other people. One of the, um, numbers on the Enneagram is the two. I don't remember what they call them, but, um, it's my mom. It's the person that like always wants to help and always wants to give, but cannot receive it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just curious if that was your number or anything. And you know, I think too, because my mom is, is, you know, it's, she's better than she used to be, but I almost wonder if it's a generational thing too. I think there's, there are generational differences. And I think that Mm -hmm. especially and with my mom and, you know, like her generation, it was very much, you are the, the keeper of the home. If you're, you know, if you're a stay at home mom, you're mm-hmm. the keeper of the home and, and you don't want to fall down on your job. Like you, that's your job. That's what you put all of your sort of stock and your, your pride as a person and not, not in a, from a proud standpoint, but just your pride as far as that's your work. That is your, what you will do. And so I think there's this sense of, that if the asking for help indicated inability or weakness. And I think that in that area of raising children, keeping the home, you know, cooking the meals, doing all of the, the homemaking side of it, I think that's, that's what's hard for a lot of women in the previous generation. Whereas with us, mm-hmm. because we, those of us in, in, you know, the more modern generations, I think it's like, we're still trying to do all those things, plus work out of the home, um, either outside of the home or at home, trying to make money, you know, online or whatever that may look like. And I think it's gotten to the point where there's just not enough hours in the day. And, and we, we almost have to ask for help or something just doesn't get done. And, and that's, I think, the, the dividing line for so many, because when they aren't willing to ask for help and they just say, I, I, I I, either I'm not going to do this and it's not going to get done or I'm going to ask for help. That's the only other option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I want to switch gears because the other thing you mentioned that you did is you are a TPT author. Yes. And so you're working on a course or you have a course that's ready to launch, right? I am getting ready to launch it. Yes. And it is. Okay. So tell me, yes. tell me all about that. Okay. Well, I started uh, my Teachers Pay Teachers shop in 2016. And I had no idea what I was doing, as is the case for me. Most things, I don't know what I'm doing. I just jump in with both feet and learn as I go. And again, that's why I apologize a lot because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I, I, I was just scouring the internet for all the information and I bit and pieced enough to kind of figure out what to do to get it up and running. And over time, I started discovering all these other things that I'm like, you know, if I'd have known that, that would have made this so much easier. Well, my goodness, if I'd have known that. And that's when it kind of hit me. I thought, you know, I want, I love helping people. And I love the fact that now my teachers pay teacher shop is bringing in an income consistently every month. I was thinking, why don't I try put together the best resources and know-how that I've learned over these several years and actually make a course for somebody. And it starts you from, it's called setting up shop from TPT newbie to shop owning guru. Uh, 
And it is, Ooh, thank cute. you. I was pretty proud of that. I was like, oh, this came together nicely. Um, and it takes you from knowing nothing about even downloading fonts or clip art. It takes you from that to actually knowing how to um, promote yourself on Pinterest. It takes you from learning PowerPoint, how to create in PowerPoint, making your logo, uploading banners, the whole thing, and getting your shop set up and to start selling. And I really wanted it to be an all-inclusive thing because the fact is just because you have a shop doesn't mean that people are going to see it. I mean, when there's over 3 million products, I don't even know how many shops there are, but that's a lot of faces and things to filter through. So there's this marketing Mm -hmm. aspect of it as well. And that's another thing that I want to hone in on in that course is to really take from knowing nothing to having a shop and actually owning it, knowing it and marketing yourself too. When does it launch? I, uh, I'm hoping to have it launched by the 12th of May. That is my goal. Okay. May is that Mother's okay. Day? Maybe I won't do it that day. Okay. How about we not do it? Maybe I don't 12th. know. <laughs> <laughs> how about we? I don't know when Mother's Day let's is. Let's say May 13th. Yeah, May 12th okay, is Mother's scratch Day. Scratch <laughs> that. May 12th is a terrible idea. Okay. See, here we go. We apologize. We regroup. We re- revisit it. Okay. So now we're looking at May 13th. That feels good. <laughs> okay. Well, and you'll have to send me all the links Absolutely. for it so I can put it in um, because. I mean, I think nowadays, like almost all teachers are like, okay, well I've created this. Why don't I put it on teachers pay teachers? And it, it, I mean, it's a, it's a daunting thing. Cause I have, I have my stuff on teachers pay teachers. It's, I mostly sell things through my website. Um, but teachers pay teachers is like, like you said, that marketing and that getting yourself out there. Could you give maybe just like one or two things that you found um, that have helped you get yourself out there or in front of people? Yes. Well, obviously one of the first things has been having a blog. Now I know that's not everyone's cup of tea, but I know a lot of teachers, you can start a blog for free and they just tell what they do. They tell about their products Mm -hmm. and how to use them. And I feel like that having a blog just gets your name out there to people, but I don't feel like that that's required. But one thing that I found um, for me personally was finding Facebook groups of people that were my people, like people that were teachers, maybe in, you know, if I had a product that was say for third grade writing, look on Facebook and find groups that are writing third grade writing groups, you know, just getting your name out there to other teachers and finding those groups on Facebook, I think is a great place to start. And Pinterest. And that's why I teach um, how to market yourself because that's how you found me was on Pinterest. And so Uh I feel like that getting your products out there and um, letting people see you, whether it be Facebook, Pinterest, or even Instagram, Instagram is a great way. So social media is really, it's a great way to level the playing field. If you're not, you know, Target or Walmart and you don't have millions of dollars to put yourself out there for marketing, you can do a lot of marketing on social media for free. And that's one of the best ways to do it. Yeah. I think Pinterest is, um, I'm still in the learning stages of figuring out how to use Pinterest in the best way possible to get, you know, more viewers or whatever. But I've noticed since I've started putting a little bit of more effort behind it, just watching my each month, yes, my numbers increase slowly yes. but surely. But it's like okay, 
Pinterest is, is where it's at because I mean, as a teacher, I would usually go to Pinterest first and look for, you know, type in whatever I was teaching. And then if I couldn't find anything on, on Pinterest, then I would go to teachers, pay teachers. Um, I don't know why that's what I did. It just is. I think it's just, it's, 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 I think we're creatures of habit. And I think most of us find the things Pinterest is kind of that go-to when you have an idea, but you don't really even know what that idea, you just want to see what else is generated. You're like, okay, I've got this thought, Mm -hmm. what else comes up? And then you just kind of go from there. And I think that's where Pinterest is really helpful um, because it really gives us that, oh, well, I was thinking I wanted to talk about coordinate graphing, but, oh, I see this. Maybe I need to, and it kind of can take you on rabbit trails, which is bad, but it can also really help you (laughs) hone in exactly what it is you're looking for. And then you can go to Teachers Pay Teachers instead of sifting through, you know, three million things, you can go on Pinterest Mm -hmm. and say, okay, what is it that I'm really looking for? Figure it out and then link that way. And I think it makes sense to do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Are there any other, like, best practices or best tips that you would give for teachers, pay teachers, authors that I don't even know really what I'm trying to ask, but just like a couple things for somebody starting out to, to help. Absolutely. Them. Absolutely. Well, um, of course the course is all inclusive and includes a lot of things that are little nuggets. But as I've been working on it, one thing that is really important is for people to understand that there is something called copyright law. And while you don't have to be afraid of it per se, you do need to realize that if you're buying clip art and you're using free clip art, sometimes there are strings attached. So you need to understand that Mm -hmm. if you're using something for, for free, that's great. But the problem is if you don't look at the fine print, it may say for personal use only, and you're using it as commercial use if you're selling it or, or, you know, even if it's a free product, but you're marketing it and putting it out there for people. So you really have to know. And I, I spend some time really talking about that. I like beating a dead horse. I know I say it like a million times in the course, but I want people to understand, you know, you can't just use a picture, um, of, I don't know, a copyrighted image, let's say an Avenger or, or a, you know, a, you can't always, you can't do that unless you've bought the rights to it. And so just be mindful of that. So you don't, accidentally get yourself in trouble because I mean, most of the time it's just ignorance. We don't know. And so be familiar with what you can and can't do. And, um, which it's not hard at all. It's just, you need to know what is okay. And all the clip art that you purchase, you purchase commercial licenses for just look for it. Commercial license or commercial use. And you're good to go. You can use any of that in your products, but that's one big thing. Yeah. And most most teachers that I purchase from on TPT, if I'm purchasing fonts or yes. cards or something, um, I feel like it's right there on the, like before you even yes, buy it's, it's, the description it's pretty, page makes they it do a good yes. job of, they yeah. do, they make it pretty so obvious. It's not, it's not like you have to buy it first then realize, Oh my goodness, I didn't, this isn't what I meant. It's pretty obvious. And you can actually go to teachers pay teachers and type in commercial use fonts, commercial use clip art. And that's something Mm, I discovered. Um, and so type that in the search bar, excuse me, and that will bring up, it'll narrow down your searches quite a bit and it will give you now I'm not saying that something might not sneak in. That's not, but like you said, if you're interested in something, look at it and right there in the product description, it should tell you pretty clearly spelled out. Okay. 
But that's why I say go on Teachers Pay Teachers. And I don't even suggest going to other places because it's so spelled out clearly on Teachers Pay Teachers Mm -hmm. because they know that people are coming to buy that to create stuff for Teachers Pay Teachers. Whereas other places... Well, and we're helping each other out. Absolutely. Shop small, you know, help each other out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, Okay. Is there anything else about the course that you want to mention or say? No, I just hope that it'll be a, a blessing and a help because with it coming up to summer, I figure now is really the perfect time. If you want to get your feet wet, mm-hmm. this is the, the best time to do it while you have that stretch of time where you can get all the behind the scenes stuff set up and go ahead and get your brain thinking product creation. What are some things my kids might be needing? And you can get yourself ahead for the next year. What am I going to need to create for my next yeah. year's students? And then put it on Teachers Pay Teachers and make a little money while you do it. Yeah. And I would say one thing too, that I think about, cause I think, um, something I struggle with as a content creator, um, is that like, Im- not imposter syndrome, but like everybody else is yes. doing it. What, you know, why should I, and, and that's something that I struggle with, but I, I also think it's important that if you are going to try and start marketing your stuff or, um, creating stuff for TPT or a blog or whatever to find what it is that sets you apart from others, because there are so many authors on there and so many resources. I mean, of course, if you're a high school math teacher, I'm sure that there's a lot less of a competition than than that's already been created than elementary first grade language arts. I mean, there's, you know, Mm -hmm. a million things I think. And I agree with that wholeheartedly that you need to find kind of that area where you feel like you either excel or and, and I talk about this in the course too, you know, find what you love. I am not going to make the first thing for calculus. Number one, I don't know what I'm doing. And number two, I don't like math. Shh, don't tell anybody. I don't love math. Okay. So <laughs> elementary math, I'm good with middle school and high school. No, thank you. I'm, I'm out. But I think that the key is if you're doing what you love, it's going to come through your products. It's going to come through those blog mm-hmm. posts or, or the podcast. I, I feel like that it just exudes through what you create and you never mm-hmm. get tired of it. Well, okay. We all get a little tired of stuff sometimes, but you feel like you can just have this endless supply of creation. Um, and, and if you're doing the things that you love and you know what you like, and when you think about something, maybe you went to teachers pay teachers and you thought, well, okay, I like this bit of this and I like that bit of that, but nothing really does what I need it to do that's where you find a hole and that's where you fill that hole. And and if you mm-hmm. needed it, chances are another teacher needed it too, or needs it too. Right. And, and no one has your yeah. voice and no one has my voice mm-hmm. and no one can speak exactly what we have to say or how we want to teach it in just the way we do. And so the nice thing right. is that's how all these people can, can talk about teaching and yet have so many teachers listen to what they have to say because we all have different ways of doing things. And that's what you have to focus in on. Cause there is, like you said, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, it's all already been done probably to some extent. Right. So figuring out, and that yeah. for me, for my teachers pay teacher shop, um, was VIP kid products. That was a smaller um, Mm -hmm. niched area where I noticed that there were not a lot of things. And I really got in there and started figuring out what, would, what would be helpful. 
And that's what really helped, helped a lot of my people. And once you realize that you're feeling a need for someone, then the people will buy it because they need it. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's going to make the difference. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast yesterday and, um, it, they were, uh, talking it, Jenna Kutcher's podcast. Mm-hmm. You no, listen not, to hers, not very Digger. frequently. Okay. I, um, I was listening to her podcast and she was having a coaching call with her, like, I don't know, business coach or life coach. I'm not sure what he was, but he said something, um, and I wrote it down, but it's in my office. I'm in my husband's office right now. Um, so I can't like remember it word for word, but it was like people buy from you when they feel understood by yes, you. Yes, absolutely. Or something like that. But that when they, and, and that's something that's so important for me to remember as a content creator is that like, they need to know that I understand where they're coming from with, you know, for me, classroom organization and management, like I understand the frustration and the struggle. And so yes. that's why I create these things or whatever. Um, and also just when you were talking, I was thinking about like giving yourself grace to not be everything, because I think for me, I think like, I have so many, I I mean, my brain is like constantly ideas and I've kind of settled on the fact that I'm never going to probably be the person who creates, um, a lot of, Teachers pay teachers products that are like the printables for kids. Like, that's just not me. I don't enjoy that. Um, I'm more of the like help the teacher and help the the behind the scenes kind of stuff. And I've had to realize that, okay, while I might make more money, if I were to go create these things on teachers pay teachers, like you were saying, my passion isn't there. It's, and so the, there's no heart behind it. So I just had, I've had to let yes, that go. And I think when you realize that, that, because it, it won't translate like what you're saying, you know, I mean, your heart's not in it and it's like, why is it going to be any better than someone else's? It probably won't be because your heart's not in it. And you're not really just going, what mm-hmm. do I need to make this an all encompassing thing? Because what do, what does this person need? And that's, that's why with this, with the, the course that I was thinking of, I was like, I have been that homeschooling mom that needed some income that needed teachers pay teachers to work. I've been the stay at home mom that had to have something because financially it was really, really tough, you know, and I've been the teacher with all the ideas swirling around in my brain that I was like, I've got to make this for my kids. And that's kind of the best way to meld all those is, is through teachers pay teachers, you know, whether it's just a creative outlet or to make a little side money, or if it's to, because you have this, you know, creative just side that you're just like, I just have to do this as therapy for me. Or if it's just, I need to make Mm -hmm. some money and I know quite a few things, just share what you know. And it's amazing how many people want to hear what you have to say. Very true. All great things. Um, when, now that we're going to wrap up, will you tell everybody where they can find you on all the socials and where they can get your course and all that stuff? Absolutely. Well, my blog is happyteachermama.com. And that's a interesting story for another day. Um, the name started with my <laughs> teachers pay teachers, um, shop and then worked its way into a blog. And so I feel like that pretty well encompasses me and you can find me at happy teacher mama on Facebook and on Instagram, it's Jen underscore happy teacher And then of course, teachers pay teachers 
happy teacher mama. I know you're getting tired of hearing this, but um, maybe if we say it enough, it'll be burned permanently in your brain. Um, But I am not on Twitter because as was obvious from my discussion about the smart boards, I am not technologically inclined in some ways. So Twitter, not my jam. So, but you can find me on Pinterest, Instagram. I don't think a lot of teachers, I don't think a lot of teachers are on Twitter. Yeah. I don't think we don't, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm not a Twitter. There's enough either. tweeting that goes along in the, in the classroom. I don't need any more. You know what I'm saying? I don't need that sound. I've got <laughs> enough of it. So, but yeah, yeah. you can find me on Pinterest yeah. at happy teacher mama as well. So I'm pretty much search that up and you'll find me in all the avenues. And I'll link to all that in the Excellent. show notes and your course Thank and you. everything. So that way people can come and find you and buy that. Cause I think that's Thank awesome. You. So Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. So you just got to hear half of our conversation. I hit the stop recording button, but we kept talking. In fact, I was supposed to meet my husband and one of his coworkers for Feierabend, which is essentially happy hour, but in Germany, everybody, not everybody, all the like German language is very incredibly specific. So Feierabend is strictly only for going to get a beer or a drink after work. Like you literally have to come from your house to work, then you go home. At least that's the way it was explained to me. Whereas happy hour can just be whenever you want. And they don't have happy hour here. That makes me so sad. Anyways, I was supposed to meet uh, Cody and his friend for Fire Aubin, and I was an hour and a half late because I could not stop talking to Jennifer and I didn't even feel bad about it. She shared so much wisdom on the podcast, but she also shared a lot of wisdom with me after we stopped recording. And I know her and I are going to become fast friends. I enjoyed talking with her about asking for help, something that's so hard for us yet it's so important. But isn't this like what we wanna teach our kids? If they can't figure it out on their own, ask for help from a teacher, from a friend, from a parent, from a table mate. But we aren't doing that ourselves. Instead, we're piling more and more on our plates and drowning behind our closed door while everyone else around us is doing the exact same thing. So how can you ask for help this week? This podcast is launching at the end of the school year, at least in the U.S., when life gets crazy. What's something that you need help on? Don't be afraid to ask because more than likely someone wants to help you. And also be looking out for some people who could use some help. You know them, you see them at the copier like... You know who I'm talking about, the people who just, you can tell they need some help and reach out to them and lend a helping hand. Don't forget all the links you need to follow her on social, sign up for VIP Kid or purchase her Teachers Pay Teachers course is all going to be on the show notes. So just head to the website. All the links will be there. And if you have a minute, will you please make sure to head over to iTunes to rate and review the podcast? I really appreciate it. I'll see you back here next week with another mini-sode. This one is going to be on tips for packing up your classroom at the end of the year. Until then, enjoy your week, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Simply Teach. Remember, all the show notes, links to things we talked about, and access to the Simply Organized Teacher email list is all over my website, thesimplyorganizedteacher.com. Also, you can find me on Instagram at thesimplyorganizedteacher. Guys, I'm going to be your social media friend. I want to interact with you, so come find me. The fun music you're listening to, that's provided by hooksounds.com.